directly with the coach. Man. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. radiocom Thought for the day, the Emperor knows, the Emperor is watching. Hello Rangers and welcome to episode 98 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James coming to you for our third Gen Con special, not quite annually, we did miss out last year but it is our third special overall. I'm on my own today because I'm actually still in the US right now, I went to upstate New York for some work after the show. I had hoped to record a show earlier but uh, unfortunately at uh, at Gen Con the amount of shouting and the amount of air con and the fact I'd gone from the Australian winter to the US summer just absolutely destroyed my throat and I got sick and you wouldn't have liked hearing a show recorded by me as little as a day ago. So now that's all sort of cleaned up uh, and my voice is back to normal so I am recording a show on my own. Uh, when I get back to Australia next week I'll be looking to grab Mike for our, our 99th show but for now you've just got me as I talk about all the things that we saw and learned at Gen Con this year. Now if you are listening to the show for the first time we are a podcast devoted to role playing in the 41st millennium. We cover the uh, gaming system now, released by Ulysses North America, which is Wrath and Glory. In the past, we've covered the game systems created by Fantasy Flight Games, but overall, if it's role-playing in 40k, we're right into it. Normally, before we start talking about the show, we do talk about what we've done in the last week or two weeks or a month in gaming. Uh, I actually recorded the last show right before flying to the US for Gen Con, so there's not really been a chance for our regular group to play, but I did get some gaming in at Gen Con. Uh, so I did two things there. First off, if you listen to our recent Origins episode, you'd realize that I've gotten quite into the uh, the Battletech Grinder, which runs at both Origins and at Gen Con. So I played several more sessions of that. Not quite as good as... Oh, sorry, not quite as good as... Sorry, I didn't do quite as well as last time. The game was still the same, but uh, I did better at Origins than I did at Gen Con, but still had a lot of fun. But also, one of my objectives during Gen Con, once I realized I had some free time in my schedule, was there's been a few game systems that I've been reading about recently or have gotten into in some way that I've still had yet to actually play properly. Uh, one of those systems was uh, 7C by John Wick Games, which I, I kickstarted when it went to its second edition. Uh, and I got the books, but I never actually played it. And I found that the uh, resolution mechanic in that one was quite interesting. So I really wanted to sort of see that from the point of view of one of the official demo teams for John Wick Games. The second one was Numenera. Uh, you probably know from our regular show that I actually run a Numenera game currently. Once again, you know, it's it's quite an off-the-wall system, and my only real exposure to it is my own games. So I was hoping to get into a session and you sort of get a feeling once again from the Monty Cook games demo team what the sort of intended structure and format was like. Uh, now, the good news is I did get into 7C. I didn't manage to get into a Numenera game, but I did play 7C and had a really good time, actually. It was really in stark contrast to the game I told you about 
about from the Origins game, which I played with, with Ross and Tim and Steven, which was totally terrible. This 7C game was great. Uh, it was really interesting that we had a group of, I think, six players who never played together before. Maybe one or two of the guys were from the same group, but we all just straight away clicked. You know, we started playing off each other, really going deep in character stuff. You know, the GM started making notes and eventually said that he didn't really need to run the module. We were making up so much cool stuff to play with as we were going. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a really fun game to play. My only complaint with the overall thing, and, and this is not really the GM's fault or even the system's fault. I think it's more of a fault with the writing of that module was that the final battle of the module, uh, which we sort of went into in the way it was intended, so we weren't underpowered or overly injured, was one where, realistically speaking, using the rules as they were written, the GM should have won hands down. You know, it should be, should be able to kill one character every two turns, and we never would have gotten the villain down far enough that we could have survived. It's only because the GM chose to do actions that were not killing players, or not killing characters, uh, that the group survived the final encounter, which I guess was a bit of poor writing on that module's part, but overall we really enjoyed the game. Uh, and overall I would play 7th C again, I quite liked the mechanic. It took a bit of getting used to, the whole sort of thing where you sort of roll the dice at the start of the scene, and then use your uh, successes as you play through the scene to actually do things you want to accomplish. A bit different from a standard you know, roll and resolve mechanic, but I really quite enjoyed it. So yeah, it was fun to play. Anyway, on to today's episode, we'll do our regular news section, then we'll go through all the stuff we learned at uh, Gen Con uh, this year, including the uh, our recording of the Ulysses Games, or Ulysses North America uh, briefing they did on the, on the third day. Uh, then we're going to talk about, finally, now that Wrath and Glory is in some way out there, and if you came to Gen Con, you could buy it at the show. Uh, if you got your pre-orders, then you should be getting your PDF soon. Um, and then the main book will be out in the next couple of months. But, you know, we can now say that, that Wrath and Glory is in its release phase. And so we're going to go in depth about the character creation system for Wrath and Glory. Uh, then we're going to do our, we're going to go back to doing our career section. We asked on Facebook and the consensus, not the consensus, but the, the most votes went towards reviewing or talking about the Scutarius or Scutari Ranger. Uh, finally, I'm going to give you a sort of review of Wrath and Glory, more about the product itself rather than its content, because we're going to go through the content over the next several episodes, but just give you a quick review of you know, the artwork, the, the format, the structure, uh, and just let you know what we think about the book in general. Uh, and then finally, we'll do a community section and close out the show. So we had a couple of people we spoke to in the last month, and we'll chat about that in that part there. Anyway, it's time to get into the news, so let's do that straight away. Command acknowledged. Accessing Imperial Archives. Under the news, and as normal, we'll start with uh, Ulysses North America and Wrath and Glory. And of course, the big news is the release, which we just mentioned. Uh, we did attend the uh, What's, What is Up at Ulysses North America panel as part of Gen Con. Rather than doing that as part of the news section, I'm actually going to do that as a whole separate section of the show as well. So we'll cover that off after the news. Uh, now, we did see that an FAQ got posted onto the Wrath and Glory website by Eric, who is the social media manager. And I'm going to just quickly say as well that, that Eric Simon, who is not just the community manager, but is also one of the developers at Ulysses North America, is a champion when it comes to community interaction. So if you've ever sort of posted on Facebook or post on their website, it's Eric that responds. And you know, I've, I've seen very few companies which have had community engagement as good as what Eric does. So real props to Eric there. And he was at the con. I had a good chance to chat with him once again. Really nice guy. You know, you should never feel afraid about getting in contact with Ulysses because Eric will always help you out. Uh, but you did post this FAQ. And probably the one question that 
I really want to cover off on the show is that plenty of people have asked the question about when can they get their hands on Wrath and Glory. Uh, so first off, Eric said that in this next week, the intent is to get the PDF copy of the book to all of the pre-orders. So if you, if you pre-ordered, you could have picked up at Gen Con as well. People that walked up to Gen Con were able to buy some too, and they actually did have some of the red leather-bound books as well. None of the black ones, but they had some red ones there. Um, but if you missed out at Gen Con, then the next step is people who pre-ordered will get their PDFs hopefully sometime this week. The original indication indicated maybe this Friday. Then the rest of the world, so anyone else who wants to get the PDF, will see it go up about a week later. So let's probably assume maybe next Friday, which will be August, let's see, this Friday is the 10th, so it'll be August 17th. Yeah, August 17th uh, on Drive Through RPG. Uh, and from that point onwards, they'll be going on to fulfillment of the actual physical pre orders as well. So uh, they, I think, will be out before the game is in stores. And so I think that the sort of tentative, not confirmed dates to have the uh, Wrath and Glory in stores was maybe around October, but it hasn't been sorted out yet with the distributors. So they couldn't give a firm date on that. But I'd be guessing that this week for pre order people to get the PDF. Next week for everybody else to get the, the, the PDF. Sometime in the next two months for pre-orders to get their their uh, physical copies. And then sometime after two months for everybody else to be able to buy it in stores. That's just some of that's a bit of a guess, but you can read the fact yourself online. I will post it into our show notes as well. But once again, props to Eric for, for managing that too. So, oh, And also, I will say today as I'm recording, they did post a, uh, a new downloadable form-fillable character sheet onto the website as well. So the back of the book for Wrath and Glory actually does say Web Enhanced. So there is plenty of plans to do web-based support for Wrath and Glory moving forward. So the rest of that I'll talk about during the, the Gen Con section when we actually go through what we spoke about at the panel. Moving on to Cubicle 7. So they've now done a PDF pre-order via DriveThruRPG. So I actually went into this one and you, I was able to, at least today download the PDF straight away, even though it still said, you know, pre-order only, not the complete product. It looks pretty complete to me. There may be still some work to do, but I had to flick through it. It does look very nice. They had the actual physical book, or not not a bound physical copy, but a printed copy of the PDF on the Cubicle 7 stand at Gen Con. Uh, I had a quick chat while I was there to, uh, to T.S. Lucat, who is the person looking after that property for Cubicle 7, and now the PDF's out. He's able to talk more about it. So we'll... Once it's sort of through the big news cycle of Wrath and Glory's release, we'll look to track down TS again and have a chat about uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay on the uh, on the show. Now, Gen Con is also a huge event for Games Workshop in general. Not only did they have a sort of like a double-sided stand where one side was playtests of the new Age of Sigmar 2nd Edition and also Kill Team, the other side was uh, a, a store basically with a whole bunch of Forge World that was run by the guys who are going to be working at the new Warhammer World in Dallas. Uh, but the main thing was that we saw a lot of licensed 40k products and fantasy products appearing at Gen Con during the course of the, the week. Obviously, Wrath and Glory was one of them. But we also saw, I think the, the probably other big one we saw was Warhammer 40k Munchkin. If you're not familiar with Munchkin, it's a collectible card game. Or not collectible, it's a, I guess a living card game, so to speak, because you don't get random packs. But it's a card game by Steve Jackson Games that is a very popular and very funny, um, I guess, parody of how gaming works. And this one has a whole bunch of parodies about 
Warhammer 40k. So a lot of fun there. Uh, we saw uh, the first preview of Adeptus Titanicus in the flesh. So the actual models were in the window there, along with the buildings. Uh, there was a new board game, or a new car game, which was Lord of the Rings Battle of Pelennor Fields. Um, Dice Masters have done a 40k version called Battle for Ultramar from WizKids. Uh, we also saw another game called Warhammer Doomseeker. Uh, there was a new card game out that was being played at the convention called Age of Sigmar Champions, which I've already seen is available at Games Workshop stores for sale. I really tried to get into a demo session of that, but it was just so busy the whole time I was there. Uh, a new fun game called Gretchen's. Uh, we also saw previews of Space Marine Adventures and Blitz Bowl. And finally, another board game called Lord of the Rings Quest to Mount Doom. So, yeah, a whole bunch of licensed properties coming out. And really, the big news moving forward for Games Workshop is the impending release of Adeptus Titanicus, uh, the Horus Heresy. So, I mean, this is really the first time we've seen Epic or, or something similar to Epic for a long, long time. And a lot of people are really excited about this one. I had to admit, I was too, but I my interest has waned slightly. One, because it really is just titans and knights there is no currently scope for you know epic armies secondly it's got a huge price point uh, when i say huge i mean it's it's worth what's in it it's just a lot of money to invest into a new game especially when i've really yet to have a proper game of necromunda or you know um kill team uh, i think it's 290 us dollars it's nearly 500 dollars australian uh, to get the main box set, which includes two Warlord Titans and six Knights, along with some buildings and bunkers and the books and dice and rules and rules. So, yeah, a f amazing pack. It is limited edition. They have said there will be no further reprints until sometime in 2019. So I think this goes on pre-order maybe this weekend. Uh, yeah, I'm just... I was talking to Mike about it via um, Facebook Messenger before. We're not sure, you know... After the expense of flying to and attending Gen Con and that sort of stuff, I might end up actually giving Titanicus a miss. Uh, I mean, Mike's still playing the computer game heaps, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a big invest for a game that I may not end up getting out except to maybe review. So we'll see, but I will say it does look very nice in any case. Uh, on the computer gaming side, not a lot of new news. I did see that on the list of 40k computer games, there was a new game added called Horus Heresy Legions for Android, which is currently in early access. Apparently, this is a, a CCG, um, but otherwise, we're just waiting on the other games to come out. And as I mentioned before, Mike is still playing a whole bunch of Titanicus, so and also some some uh, Inquisitor Marta as well. Whereas I've been just tied up with all the travel at the moment, so I've had no chance for any gaming. But hopefully, once I'm back next week, I'll be able to get some of the new games loaded up, including things like Gladius Relics of War, which I'm still hearing fantastic things about, yet, yet I had no chance to play. So, all right, that's the, the general news. Let's jump into the Gen Con-specific stuff for Wrath and Glory now. Knowledge is power. Hide it well. Okay, time to talk about Gen Con now. And I've got to say, I really, really enjoyed Gen Con this year. I, my first one, I really enjoyed as well. The second year, um, you probably remember from the show, wasn't as fantastic because really there wasn't a lot for us to cover at that show so it was actually great to go back this year with the release of the new game um, to cover that and had a lot of fun as well uh so yeah during the show let's see the first day i played some battletech grinder i think that was really the good news was i caught up with tim huckleberry again um so tim was tim still with ffg but he was traveling to gen con on his own and running some games of um baron munchausen 
And uh, yeah, it was just great to catch up with with Tim again. You know, we enjoy the same sorts of games and just love chatting about gaming. So, uh, looking forward to chatting to Tim again on the show at some point. I know he doesn't work on the lines anymore, but he's still a big Warhammer fan and he still knows a whole bunch of his time working on the lines as well. So, uh, also on the first day, I actually caught up with um, the two guys from the Total Party Thrill podcast, uh, Shane and Ishan, who uh, I've mentioned on the show before. They've actually, uh, I've I had a chance to listen to their show for a while. I sort of stopped listening when I went to listening to the Horus Heresy uh, audiobooks. And at that point in time, they were still talking about their Eberron campaign. But the guys are telling me they're now playing a Rogue Trader campaign. So they're back into the 40k stuff heavily. And we talked a lot more about uh, Wrath and Glory as well, which was great. Um, I didn't manage to get into the hall early opening this year. Just there was a bit of a, a mess up with my press pass, which I got sorted out in the end, but a bit too late to get early access. But I didn't have anything I really wanted to run for. Um, I went straight to the... Um, the booth of Ulysses North America and got uh, Wrath and Glory, caught up with Ross briefly there. I was considering picking up the new Battletech box set, uh, and I went by the Catalyst stand, and it was just a huge line there. So I went back a little bit after lunch on the first day, and by that point, they were all sold out. And, I mean, it's funny. There was a conversation I was listening to in the line before going into Gen Con at the opening where one person was saying that, you know, I'm going to run for this and my girlfriend's at the other door. She's going to run for this. And we've got these friends. They're going to run for this. And they're sort of talking about the fact that there is a sort of element in Gen Con of like manufactured scarcity that, I mean, I had this conversation with, with both Ross and uh, Tim in some way during the show where I was saying that my personal belief is that the majority of people almost without exclusion who get into writing games are invariably gamers themselves. Uh, and for them, it's, it's as much about giving back to the community and, and creating something that people actually want to get involved in as it is making a living. Uh, you know, I know that some, you know, we may look at some companies and say, oh, that company just wants to screw me out of my money. But I think by and large, the people who are actually there creating the games don't feel that way. You know, it's a community that very much these guys know each other. They move from, from business to business, from company to company. And I think that the guys and girls that write these sort of games uh, are really, you know, a big part of the hobby. Uh, and then I look at a product where there's this sort of concept that it's a limited edition at Gen Con only. There's a limited number. So, you know, 65,000 people are going to turn up and let's say 100 people or 500 people are going to get to experience that. Now, if it's an early release and it's being released later, like the Battletech game, yep, it's annoying. You know, I, I would have liked to pick it up, but I can wait till it comes out in stores. But I think about the people who run for a product and miss out. Like, that product is only going to entertain a small group of people, you know, the, the, the 500 or 100-odd people who rush to get it. And that's it. You know, nobody else except for them and their friends are going to get enjoyment from what that person or what those people created. Now, sure, that pre-release might be part of a, a game which comes out in a bigger way, or it might be just a single promo card. But still, you know, that element which has been created in order to create scarcity has, you know, effectively been only given to a very small part of the gaming community. And I guess one of the concerns that one of the players I was listening to raised was that when you've got this sort of concept of manufactured scarcity and people rush for products, often they'll go in and buy a product, you know, that's completely unknown only because it's got the word limited or exclusive on it. So there's not even an owens on the companies who produce these products to have them be any good. You know, you might go and get that limited edition one of 100 component only to get home and say, this isn't actually a very good product. 
But it doesn't matter because the company's gotten the money for it and it's gotten you to their stand early and hopefully spent other money there as well. Money might have spent otherwise. But yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. Um, I only really saw it at Gen Con. I didn't see the same rush at Origins, but then again, you know, maybe I, I just didn't observe it there. But uh, yeah, that was really it. I mean, the, the, the second day then, um, I played some more Battletech Grinder. I also, I mentioned before, I played some 7C. Uh, the third day was the Ulysses North America um uh, briefing, which I'll talk about in just a moment, and I didn't actually stay for the for the Friday, for the Sunday. I had to get to to work, so I, I left early in the morning. But I think the Sunday is a much quieter day. I think it's family day. Oh, I did stay and get some pictures from the uh, the costume parade as well. Which last time I went to Gen Con, I went down the main sort of side hall. This time I went through the middle of the gaming hall, which was interesting because um, there was a lot going on in there, and I, I was standing right near the parade taking photographs and. There were people behind me saying, oh, I can't get to my game because my game's on the other side of the parade and I can't run through the middle and this is so frustrating. And um, I mean, people in there just started running through the middle of the parade as well. So I don't know if this is the first year, if they did it last year as well, but yeah, it certainly was a little bit more odd than running down that main hall. I think they call it Wabash, I think is the name of the, the hall at uh, the convention center. Anyway, that was just an observation. But let's go across to the briefing by Ulysses North America. So... Um, what I'm going to do is the briefing itself actually had four components to it. So um, Eric Simon introduced it. Then there was talk about the Dark Eye, uh, which is obviously the uh, English translation of um, the Schwarzer Alga from Ulysses Spieler. Um, then there was uh, talk about Torg, talk about Fading Suns, and finally talk about Wrath and Glory. Uh, now, I'm only going to put onto this show today the talk about Wrath and Glory, because that's what we're here for. Um, Eric has already put the video of the uh, of the briefing up on YouTube as well, which I'll link in the show notes. Uh, which <laughs> I was saying at, the, saying at the front, so I've only just observed when I watched it myself that I'm in the camera the whole time as well, which is probably a little bit embarrassing. But uh, anyway, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play uh, Ross's part from Wrath and Glory. I will warn you that I asked the okay from the guys to put the uh, the microphone on the table in front of them so I can sort of manage using Twitter at the same time while recording them. Um, unfortunately, what that meant was every time one of the guys knocked the table or, or banged the table or put something down, there is a slight bump sound in the microphone. It's not really made for that sort of sound absorption. So uh, hopefully the sound quality is good enough. But uh, let me start off by just playing you Ross's section from the, uh, from the talk now. Signal intercepted. Beginning decryption sequence. So, Wrath and Glory. Well, um, first of all, anybody here support the pre-order? Awesome. Thank you guys so much. We have had an awesome pre-order. Uh, huge response. People are, are loving what we're doing so far, so that makes me really excited as lead designer. And we are uh, we're having a really good launch here at Gen Con. You come by the booth if you haven't already. We've got the core book here for the people who didn't pre-order. Um, and you, or, or if you did pre-order and want to pick it up. Yeah. So there's, those things are all possible. And the rest of Wave 1... I'm a year behind Torb, so... <laughs> but yeah, the rest of Wave 1 is, is, is on its way. We are looking at a retail... Uh, stuff arriving in retail stores around soft, soft date, October-ish. October-ish, yeah. yeah. And then every month after that will be something new coming up. And, and Wave 1 is going to be... The core book's going to be um, an adventure called Dark Tides, which is five linked adventures set on an ocean world. It's pretty awesome. There's all kinds of stuff going on with... Uh, uh, rogue psychers and uh, the dark god Slanesh and all kinds of uh, machinations. It's got you know a great mix of investigation and 
uh, you know, you have to get into the, the depths of imperial society and even, you know, maybe fight some Eldar along the way. So tentacle tentacle stuff. Tentacle stuff. I'm not going to rule it out. Not going to rule it out. It's Slanesh. It was already weird. Not going to rule it out. But yeah, Dark Tides is coming. Uh, we also have the Wrath of Glory starter set, which is really cool. It's got a starter adventure in it where uh, you have to escape some orcs who are prowling the asteroid fields out there. Uh, there's also a starter rule book, uh, pre-generated characters, tokens, dice, everything you need basically to get started and play is right there in that box. Um, we feel like Wrath of Glory is a great place for someone who maybe not uh, a big uh, 40k guy or maybe just not into role-playing and they want to know what it's all about. That's the, the entry point will be the starter set, so be, uh, be sure to check that out. We have a GM screen and we have uh, you know, a bunch of card packs with different the stuff from the core book that you can then put on your table. We have uh, campaign, sorry, we have uh, critical hits, we've got psychic powers, talents, uh, perils of the warp, and the, the advantage of having this stuff in a card form is you don't have to look it up in the chart, although all that stuff is in the book. Uh, but as also as a GM, it's uh, kind of a cool tool because you can curate those decks if you want to pull out some specific things for your players uh, to look at. And we have the campaign cards, which is one of my favorite things. It's based on Torg's Cosm cards. Because they're awesome. Because they're awesome. <laughs> and they put a little extra 40k flavor into the hands of the players that they can then add to the game. Uh, and we have promo cards that I think we released just for the pre-sale. So if you're part of the pre-sale, uh, you will be getting the promo cards as well as the, the pack. So all that stuff is in wave one. And then we have plans. We're already in motion for wave two. Wave two is going to be about the Dark Imperium, Imperium Nihilus. And we are going to have more player character options. We're going to have some more uh, stuff. It's, it's pretty Imperial focused right before we dive into some of the other factions in 40K. So in the Imperium Nihilus, we're looking at a lot of stuff for Primaris Marines. We're looking at stuff for the, uh, the Inquisition and the, the Mechanicus. Although we are also talking about the Dark Mechanicus because... Part of the Imperium Nihilus campaign is we have a set of linked adventures that deal with the Dark Mechanicus and their plots in the Gilead system. And it's uh, being written uh, partially by Ben Counter, who's a really great uh, 40K novelist, if anybody knows Ben, ben Counter's books from Horus Heresy and other things. Um, and that dude knows Dark Mechanicus like nobody else. So we're really excited to see what we have there. And um, after Imperium Nihilus, which we will probably be talking about and having a pre-sale for, I think, around November. I think is what we're aiming for. Again, moving target. Eric, Eric points out to me every time it's a moving target. But <laughs> November is what we're aiming for for that. And uh, early 2019, we will be talking about the next one, which is Doom of the Eldar. All Eldar all the time, doing all the Eldar things we've always wanted to do. We're going to have the full range of Aspect Warriors as player characters. This guy right here can barely contain himself. He's so excited about that. Um, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about the, uh, the, uh, the Inari. We're going to talk about the Harlequins. You know, we're going to go into the, the Webway and possibly even visit the Black Library and the Adventures and so forth. It's going to be really cool. Um, I'm really excited about that. So that's going to be the next thing. And we have even more stuff on the horizon, which Eric will literally kill me if I start talking about anything past that point. Uh, but keep in mind, there's plenty of places to go, plenty of things to do. We are literally just at the tip of the iceberg of all the really awesome things of 40K. And we want to explore as much of that as we possibly can. And uh, a lot of that is thanks to you guys uh, and all your support. We, couldn't, we, we would not be where we are today if it wasn't for you guys uh, you know, pushing us forward with the pre-sale, so we really appreciate it. Yeah, I want to uh, just throw in a couple other notes. 
Um, Russ is absolutely correct about the starter set being a great standalone product for it's an entry players. Point. It's a it's a really great introduction. It's also very useful if you're putting it with everything else. If you're using it with the core rules. Because it does have a couple of maps. It does have... Yeah, it's got um, battle maps. It's the only place you can get the dice. It is the, it's the only, only place, place you can get the dice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, you if got you want to Rath five dice. or ten if you pre-ordered um, for retail. If you want more dice, that is the place to get it. It's starter sets. Yeah, and so, we have the battle... Yeah, I forgot about the battle maps. It also comes with the deluxe pre-generated character yeah, sheets. And, 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 and tokens. So those are uh, really handy if you're... Right. Uh, if you want to... You know, because one of the problems with I'm my adventure's moving faster than my painting, so I need to <laughs> grab, grab, some, grab some tokens. Yeah, it's got some great acrylic tokens are, in there as well. Are they the acrylics? Yeah, they are. See, they are that's great. So, yeah, I can't wait till people actually get to handle. Really? It. Yeah, it's gonna like, be nice. Oh, that makes a difference. It yes. Really does. And I think, uh, do you want to go open it up to questions? Yeah. So uh, we will go ahead and open it up to questions. So this will be just uh, throw out your questions. Signal lost. Decryption sequence terminated. All right, so as you would have heard Eric say at the end there, it's now time on to time to move on to some questions. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to play only the questions and answers that were given for Roth and Glory. So you might find it cuts here and there because the questions are sort of interspaced throughout. So let me cut over to that now. Signal intercepted. Beginning decryption sequence. Uh, so we'll throw it open to questions. Yes. Okay. So during the development of Wrath and Glory, uh, even before the pre-orders opened up, you mentioned that there would be four species and 32 archetypes. Yes. I have my core rule book. Yes. <coughs> Anybody who has it can count, hopefully. Uh, and there are 31 archetypes. Now, I was wondering what happened during the development phase that made you guys decide to end up dropping the 32nd, and if it's not actually the Death Watch Ascension thing that you guys talk about in the Ascension package, what was it? Okay, there is a 30-second archetype in the book. It's it's the Chaos Space Marine, which is you just take the Space Marine and make him a Chaos Space Marine. It didn't need a whole archetype to itself because we put the uh, the guide. There's a, there's a section in the Chaos thing about how you make a Chaos Space Marine. Will we see expansion in an eventual Astarte supplement for Trader Legions? Of course. Absolutely. Eventually, we will get to just oh, yeah, about everything. I mean, <laughs> <that's laughs> you know, after humans and Eldar and Orc, which I've heard rumored is the third one. You, you don't have to kill him. He said it before. It's fine. <laughs> you said it works after Eldar. Well, I would really love to do Orc. I mean, I would love to do everything after Yeah, no, that's We'll, we'll get cool. there. If so, I would love to do Imperial yeah. Knights after Eldar. We, that'd be cool. Right? Like, it's something that's on my list <laughs> but, uh, of, like, cool. Good would love to do. The actual awesome. Yeah, yeah there's, there's, uh, trust me, I'm not lying. There's oh, 32 no, archetypes in that book. The table, so everybody was like, why are there 31? It's like Baskin Robbins, bud. You know, we're just make sure you got <laughs> the everything. The thirty-second flavor. It's, the thirty-second flavor is a secret flavor. Okay, thank you. Yes. Uh, in regards to the mechanicness, um, do you have any plans to like let, I guess, tech priests or something, uh, like say, have control over like, you know, like a little group of like servers or yes. say, battle automata or anything like that? Yes, absolutely. There, there's so much cool stuff for mechanicus now. I, we would be crazy not to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I've always been a huge Mechanicus fan. So. Yeah. Well, we've got, like, I think we have service skulls in the core book, but we're going to yeah, be doing they're, more. There's in the, they're in the bestiary. Yeah. Um, so, so we'll uh, be, but we'll be adding more, and there's going to be talents that let you, like, start with a bunch of Yeah, the, the rules for how to build them yeah. uh, along with your character is not... I, I think it'd be awesome. I think it'd be awesome. Well, I think it'd be awesome if we introduced a talent that lets you start as a Mechanicus guy with, like, a swarm of cherubs or something yeah. following you around. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yes. I guess this question applies to all four of the lines. Ooh. But um, 
some publishers are getting more and more involved with doing campaigns. Mm -hmm. Is that something you guys would consider with any of the lines that you carry? Uh, so, the it is something we are exploring. We're trying to figure out sort of how best to approach it, and uh, there are lots of different uh, there are lots of different tricks that that, uh, that you run into and issues that you run into. Uh, certainly in, in Europe, um, there's there's a weird. Uh, legal borderline between uh, living campaign and employee. Uh, and that's that's a, a, a tough line to walk uh, in some cases, and it's actually something that's becoming more of an issue here, here in the States as well. Um, so that's that's a, a thing that we have to, to work out. So trying to develop systems like the Infiniverse, uh, where we're providing resources and sharing information, um, that's, that's one of the one of the ways that we're looking at how do we uh, make this happen without necessarily having to staff it all ourselves. Um, and, and that's, because that's always the issue, is, is the staffing. Um, so we want to enable you uh, to go out and be part of the, the whole living world, um, right. but not have to, to feel like you're obligated to us uh, or anything like that. Right, whatever um, we do is probably not gonna look like an adventure league. Yeah. It just doesn't really make sense on our scale. Yeah. But we do want to be able to provide tools and meta plots and the opportunity to have those kind of experiences and adventures you know, if the people are there to use them. Yeah. Stay tuned. Lots of exciting news on the horizon. So, could happen. Yes. Um, wrapping back to Wrath and Glory. So, we've seen some little small adventures. Box uh, of Sorrows, which just recently saw. Um, Unhallowed. Oh, Unhallowed, which just recently saw Unhallowed. Uh, and I've played in The Reach, and I'm playing in Footnote Mausoleum tonight, but are we ever going to see um, notes for those released for us to be able to run, rather than me experiencing it, writing it down, and posting notes on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to do that. Uh, I've been, you know, getting things done for Wave 1 and Wave 2. No, but, exactly. Uh, I mean, it's it's a question. It's just a bandwidth question, but I'd really love to do it because I had a lot of fun uh, coming up with Box of Sorrows and Unhallowed, which were both written in about 30 minutes. So, uh, yeah, I would really love to like sit down and like make a full adventure for those. Um, we have uh, plans to get those uh, into, into the line. It's, it's, a, it's a question of like where, where in the schedule they go because we have, you know, the big books, the big releases. We have the... Uh, I have so many freaking ideas, man. I have like all these. We have we have pitches in all the time for for really cool stuff, and I'd love to get them in there. It's just a question of getting the crowbar out and wedging it into the schedule somewhere, because um, we I do I have all my notes for that. I mean, it, it may be a case of uh, hiring somebody and say, watch this video, and write an adventure based on this. Video. <laughs> it may be the case. I, of I, like I put up notes for blessings and heralds. <laughs> So, um, well, we did actually write that one. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> yeah that one at least. Um, <laughs> or not blessings and I'm so sorry. I mean, a box of stuff. Oh, you did? Okay, okay, well, I'd love yeah. to see those sometimes. So. Um, yeah, and uh, just to give a framework on what, what we mean by eventual, I mean, as an example, we ran, uh, you know, Daryl ran a, a game last Gen Con for, uh, for Kickstarter backers, and we just released that PDF last week. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's important to point out like that um, Wrath of Glory is very early on in its development. It's like literally just got the first book out. And if you, if you think back to like how Dark Heresy launched, it was, you know, it, it, we, will, we will be there, but it's going to take some time to yeah. build up to that level. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to happen. And, and I think your idea of like getting those, those products out quickly is, is, a, is a good one. It's definitely like, I would love to do that. 
can I find the bandwidth? Can I find the, the resources to get there and still also hit our targets, our moving targets, for wave two yeah. along the way? Uh, that's the question. I, I, I will do my best to, to see if we can make that happen. Yeah. And, and specifically, like with, the, with our Gen Con adventure, like there, were, there are other factors at play. So like yeah. one of the factors at play for that one was, you know, the adventure was actually written and in layout last Gen Con. But it didn't have maps and art. I mean, it had sketches, but you can't publish it like that. And then it's a matter of like, okay, so we've only got so many resources to do like real maps for the books. Are we diverting them to finish this and get it out? Not yet. You know? yeah. And then one of the other factors on it was, the cool thing about an adventure like that, especially one that's filmed like Ross's are, is there's what you see on camera, and then there's the way it could have gone. Right. There's, there's, <laughs> you, you gotta, like in a written adventure, you can't just say, well, this and then this and this. You have to say, well, if you yeah. decide to go here, then this. And right? Sometimes it's a really big if. Like, right. Yeah. In our adventure, it's like, well, if you go left instead of right, some serious stuff goes But Daryl's also right that the, the art and cartography uh, take time, and uh, probably even more a little bit with uh, licensed property like mine. I have to run it through yeah. the approvals. Uh, but yes, we want to do it, yeah. and we will get there. And, but and that but those are the kind of factors that that make it yeah make it delayed. It's like oh yeah, but is this, it written? Yeah. Well, well, this guy is one of my favorite guys. He's like, I want it now. <laughs> Why can't I have it now? When will then be now? Soon. I, I, I like it. I like experiencing it. I want people to stop being like. Harping on about it because I experience that like every day. I'm sure I experience it too because I harp on him every day. Too. Wait, people on the internet complain about our games? What? <laughs> Especially games that aren't even out. That's crazy. So I actually have a question for the audience. You know, oh. We were talking about experimenting or whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lock those doors, please. Weird. <laughs> weird. No, because you see multiple game companies put out rougher beta versions of books and then do a real one, is that something you guys are interested in? Yes. I like the development process. Do you want Ashcan? I like having it all. That's give me betas, give me alphas, give me notes. Yeah, Ashcan is, uh, is a term for sort of an early version yeah. of something yeah. that's yeah. Uh, sort of okay, yeah. low, low art. Yeah, so. Makes better games. I saw the Dark Heresy Adventure Contest. If they're willing to release that, we can see some alpha versions. <laughs> right? Of well, and that, like I said, that's fascinating to me. Because I think uh -huh. for most people on this side of the table, we would think, no, no, everyone wants the finished product. You know, there's no way we should release something that's rough. But I think what I hear more and more and more is, yeah, no, just give me that early rough version. I don't uh, think that guy's very excited about yeah, it. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> One person's like, don't do it. <laughs> that's great, I'm with you. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, and there may be some product lines that we can and can't. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, uh, so yeah. Your license are uh, involved. Okay. But that's a really uh, good we're, question. We're almost out of time, and uh, we are not going to be those people who hold a room uh, too late. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, However, so just, I will happily stand outside. Yeah, we will stand outside and answer more questions. Yeah. So, uh, you and then. Yeah. Just a real quick comment. Um, I know nothing about Warhammer 40K, but I went in the all in bundle because of quality and workmanship and the dark guy. So, I just want to say your product lines are. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. I was, when he was done, it was 15 minutes. Like, <laughs> That's good. Yes. As far as rap and glory, you talk about things being translated from German and from over here. Was that all released over in Europe at the same time? No, they're, that's, they're talking about Dark Eye when they talk about that. Oh, Well, they're working on that. Um, there is a there is a team that's translating it into German and other French and I think other languages. You're all the same company, and they want to consume it as fast. Yeah, so if they translate it, maybe it's a no. But they're uh, they they have the delay going the other yeah. way. Yeah. So that uh, basically um, everything but the dark eyes English first. Yeah. We also you got to realize that we have to relay out the entire yeah. book. Because yeah. I don't know if you know this, but like when Twitter went to 140 characters, the Germans were like, "Woo, two whole words." <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's it's it, it means. Come now, yeah. really, not an exaggeration. Not not that exaggeration. <laughs> way back when I was a white book, way back in the day, the guy who handled all getting all the translations done came to all the developers and said. You guys write twenty percent less words in your books because the Germans are having to add so much extra pages. We're like, we're not going to change our work out. <laughs> no, but it's not, I, I'm not making fun of German. I'm just saying in general, when you when you do a different language, it requires a different layout. So there's there's more delay than just literally running it through you know Google Translate. So, but yeah, it's there better be more delay than that. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's your yeah, actually the, um, there's a there's a book size thing in terms of just the actual like dimensions. Oh yeah. But yes, it's they're they're hungry for it over there too, for sure. Yeah. And there are definitely other uh, you know, we can't nothing's been confirmed, but I know of other companies that are working on uh, attaining the license for other languages for Rath and Glory. Um, so yeah it is It's in the works. It's in the works, but our our stuff will be first, and they'll translate it from there. Um, so yeah. yeah. Any other questions? Cool. Thank you all so much yeah, for coming. If you do not, uh, not bring your ticket up, please do. Uh, that helps us uh, get good space and maybe not well, be double booked. I was saying we will get double booked next year. Uh, this, is, this is my favorite part of Gen Car. Thank you guys. Thank you very much. Signal lost. Decryption sequence terminated. So there you go. A few good questions people asked from uh, from the audience. Uh, if you do sort of want to know more about Wrath and Glory from the source, once again, I do recommend that you you know hit them up on Facebook or on their uh, web page as well, because Eric is fantastic at actually getting back to people and answering their questions any way that he can as well. Anyway, let's move on with the show. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested is unavailable. Okay, so this is the part of Wrath and Glory I have most been looking forward to talking to, uh, talking about, because as I've mentioned several times in the past, the sort of litmus test by which I judge any new role-playing system usually starts with the character creation system, because getting the character you want to play out of a game is probably the most important thing before you even start rolling any dice, although unless there's dice rolling in character creation, of course, which there isn't in this system. Um, so let me start to go through the system itself um, and the first part really is um, something you do before each individual person starts doing their own character and that is there needs to be a conversation among the group with the GM about the the campaign framework and the tier of play so the framework as we said on the show before is the I guess the story hook 
that joins the characters together. So it could be you're all agents of the Inquisition, or it could be you're all members of the Guard. You are, you know, criminals escaping from a prison. Uh, you know, one example was even you are just miscellaneous things escaping from Cormorant. Uh, whatever the case may be, this really sets the limits on what your characters can or can't be from a fluff point of view. So, for example, if I'm playing a group of acolytes working for a uh, puritanical inquisitor, then playing an elder probably isn't going to work. You know, or if I'm playing Escape from Cormorant, I can probably use anything provided the characters can work together without getting each other down on spot. The second part of this part is the tier. The tier is the power level of the game that you're going for, whereas tier one might be things like gangers, uh, and tier four is things like primary space marines. You're basically saying this is going to be the level of play in my game. Now you don't have to have a character that is the same as the game tier. You need to be the same or lower. So if we're playing a tier three game. I can play a tier one, two, or three character. I can't play a tier 4, and there are no tier 5s currently because they are above the tier of play. For each tier that your character is away from the game tier, you have to apply one Ascension package to bring them up to the same level as everybody else. So if I'm playing a Guardsman among Space Marines, I'm not playing a fresh out of the Academy private, I'm playing a grizzled veteran of the Imperial Guard who is now working with Space Marines and is... If not on the level, at least, you know, has a level of respect from them and is able to work alongside them and actually contribute usefully to that group dynamic. So this is a really important part. And we're going to talk, I think, more about this in a future episode when it comes to defining the framework. Because if you make a character which doesn't fit with the framework or two players make characters that are completely polar opposite. So, you know, someone wants to play a Black Templar and someone wants to play a Rogue Psyker these sort of things are going to cause problems. So you need to have that sort of discussion in your group as part of your session zero as to what is the game going to be. Either the GM says, I'm running this game, or the group all agrees, we want to play this style of game of Wrath and Glory. And then they set the tier to work out what the level is. And the next step is each person moves on to actually building their individual character. Of course, the first part of this is choosing a concept that is going to fit with the tier and with the framework. So once again, we're playing an all-guardsman campaign. Okay, I probably need to choose a guardsman. We're playing Acolytes Inquisition. I can probably take a guardsman still, or I could take a tech priest, or I could take an acolyte. Any of these things would be viable, provided it matches the framework, and provided it is the same as or from a lower tier. The next thing is you need to choose your species. Well, the next two steps I'm going to say this. So choose your species, choose your archetype. And I think these will need to go together because some of these are self-informing. Like if I want to play a tactical space marine, clearly my species needs to be space marine. Likewise, if I want to play a rogue trader, my species can't be space marine. We need to be human, for example. So it really comes down to what I want to play and what informs that. So you've got species-wise right now, human, space marine, Primary space marines, since they are different species technically, Eldar and Orc. Uh, and of course, an Eldar or Orc is only going to fit into a campaign where everybody agrees that having a mixture of, well, I suppose you'd be playing all Xenos, but in most cases, you'd be looking at a, I want to have an Eldar PC in amongst my group of more accepting Imperial PCs as well. Uh, and that's certainly quite doable with the system as well. Your class or your archetype is really your career within the game. Uh, and you've got to keep in mind that there are 31 of these, 32 if you include the um, uh, Fallen Space Marine, basically, as you'll hear just, uh, you heard before in the interview. Um, 
So this, your, your archetype is going to define your keywords, your influence bonus, your special ability, and your war gear. And we'll come to those shortly, but they are the main things decided by your archetype, along with what you actually are, you know, because that's really what your character is. Then each character is going to get a number of build points equal to 100 times the tier. So 300 for a tier 3, 100 for a tier 1, 500 for a tier 5. These build points are spent in an identical way to how experience points are spent later. So a newly created tier 2 character is functionally identical to a tier 1 character who has earned and spent 100 XP. It works the same way. So it's quite handy in that you're not going to get decisions that you'd make during character creation that are better or worse economically versus making the same decision during character development. Of course, in some cases, you require justification to make those sort of purchases during character development, but the cost factor is the same. So your tier also determines what are your maxims, your maximum skills, maximum attributes, maximum psychic powers, uh, even the maximum difficulty and bonuses and penalties you can get in the game as well is all defined by the tier of play. So once you've got your, your archetype and your species and your build points, the first step is you're going to be buying attributes. Okay? And there are several attributes and they have minimal and maximum values based upon your species and the tier. These are purchased in a... Uh, logarithmic growth rate, so you're not paying you know, as you, basically as you go up through the levels, you pay more and more each time for each advance. Now you can either buy these individually, or there are a number of pre-assigned attribute setups and arrays. So the pre-assigned attributes are basically like you know take this many attributes at four, this many at three, this many at two, or the arrays are literally here is an example layout of character stats where you've got strength this, you know in, initiative this intellect this, you know, they can all be in there specifically placed. Then likewise, you move on to, sk uh, to skills in the same way. Uh, those skills, once again, have minimums, oh, sorry, I should say attributes have minimums dependent upon your, your archetype. So some archetypes may say I need to have, for example, three toughness or two intellect. And then likewise, skills also have minimums that are set by your archetype. You don't get these points for free. You have to spend the points from your build points to buy it to at least that level. When you buy skills, you have to observe something called the Tree of Learning. And the Tree of Learning prevents characters from becoming over-diversified in a single skill. Basically, the maximum skill level you can have, outside of the regular maximums for tiers, for example, has to be the same as at least the number of skills you've got. So if I have a level 4 skill, I need to have at least 4 skills with points on my character sheet. I want to have 5, I've got to have 5, etc, etc. This death prevents a character from having all their points invested into one skill to be the absolute best they can possibly be. Once again, with skills, there are options of pre-arranged or pre-assigned skill setups, as in a number of skills at this, a number of skills at this, or literally a whole array of this skill, this skill, this skill, this skill, this skill, this skill all at these levels. Then we can determine our traits. Okay? Now, traits are like attributes, but they are derived from other factors. So these include your defense, your resilience, your soak, shock, speed, wounds, conviction, corruption, passive awareness, resolve, influence, and wealth. So there's a whole stack in there, and they are all determined either from the tier of play, the attributes you've already purchased, what your archetype is. These are all of the informed statistics. Now, I've got to say, I really do like the fact they brought in passive awareness. I've always thought that passive awareness is such a great skill because it stops the whole factor of the GM saying, okay, everyone roll awareness, and everybody fails, and the GM says, okay, you see nothing, but the players are still on edge because the GM said make an awareness roll. 
Passive awareness allows the GM to basically go and make a roll to see if the players notice something while they're not actively looking for something, which is quite a good uh, setup. Then you purchase talents. Now, talents are not too dissimilar from talents in the older editions, except for the fact that you're not going to have very many. So it's very much like, I think, in some ways, uh, Savage Worlds, where you know a level one character might have one trait, uh, one talent at most, you know, or maybe two, and you may get some as you develop, but you're never going to have like 10 or 15 like you might get in things like Dark Heresy or Rogue Trader or any of those. You know, there's a relatively limited list, and they are quite specific in their applications, but in many cases, I think the average starting character will probably find one trait that will, or one talent that will really help them develop what they are as a character at the start. So you can look through and choose these talents. They all have fixed costs, or they all have, they don't grow in size as they go up in levels, but some of them have different ways of calculating their actual cost as well. Any loose points you've got from your build value can then be used to do things like acquire assets, okay? And assets are used later on to purchase equipment, additional equipment, basically up to the tier level in assets at one build point each. If you need to, then you proceed to Ascension. So this is where the GM said we're running a tier three game. I have made a tier two character, so I now need to do one Ascension package to bring me up to the same tier as everybody else. So these packages have costs, just like species have costs, just like archetypes have costs. So a certain number of build points will be spent simply to acquire these things. Now, there are two Ascension packages currently. One of them is Stay the Course, which is basically your character keeps doing what they're doing, but just gets better at it. And the second is Psychic Revelations, which means that somehow your character has become psychic. So in this way, you could build, for example, a Space Marine Librarian by taking a Space Marine at Tier 3 in a Tier 4 game and taking the Psychic Revelations trait or uh, Ascension package to give you a Space Marine with Psychic powers. You know, likewise, any an Inquisitor could do the things the same way. You know, any, any class could have potentially be made Psychic by using Psychic Revelations, provided that fits. And you can't, I don't think you can do it for an existing Psychic character like a Sanctioned Psyker or a... Uh, uh, an unsanctioned or heretic psyker. Uh, so, in some cases, the ascension package will increase your requirements for your actual, like in the case of stay of the course, whatever attribute requirements you had or skill requirements you had for that particular, uh, for your base archetype are increased for the purposes of ascension. And it will do as well things like give you war gear, you know, it will give you scars or, or storylines, something to basically represent the fact that your character is a cut above a standard person of their base archetype. Next, every character gets to select war gear, and there are a whole bunch of different ways to get war gear. First off, every single archetype comes with some war gear. The book does refer to getting war gear from species. Now, none of the species in the book currently provide war gear, but that may be a future feature where some future uh, species will also give war gear. Um, along with what you get from your base archetype, everyone gets, an, gets a single trinket, which is rolled from a table. They can choose to take additional trinkets up to their tier plus one at one build point each. And any points you spend on these trinkets can actually be rolled for the trinket as well on the tables. And they're all really fun, fluff-filled stuff. Um, okay, any orc, any, or any character with the keyword orc, scum, or imperial uh, can choose to start the game with one augmentic. Because the idea being that you know imperial characters are more subject to cybernetic enhancement than some other, other type character archetypes might be. Then you've got some optional rules for war gear. First off, you can choose to swap your primary weapon or take one if you don't have one already uh, with a weapon of a tier of the game tier plus three in value. You can choose to take a secondary weapon of the game tier plus two in value. 
you can choose to take a suit of armor up to the game tier plus three in value. And you can take a set of tools for every skill that you have at a level two or higher, provided there are appropriate tools for that, provided that the value of those tools is no more than four plus the tier level. So these might be things like artisan's tools or technical tools, for example. These are all available to you through this optional rule. Then we go into special abilities. Now, every single archetype gets some form of special ability, but some have ones that have specific choices. Like, for example, psychic powers. So psychic characters get, for example, some free psychic abilities from their archetype. So things like smite plus one power, and any others have to be purchased at their standard build point cost up to the maximums defined in the book as well. In other cases, you might have a special ability which does have a, requ have a requirement to choose something, but isn't necessarily as, uh, I guess, granular and chaptered as, uh, as psychic powers is. Then you move on to choosing your background. So this is sort of like how in the earlier games you had things like a home world, uh, but in this case, there are four background options, accomplishment, goal, keyword, or origin, and each of these roll from a table and you will only get one background. So you either have an accomplishment or a goal or a keyword or an origin. So this is how your character is partly defined. So a character who takes origin as their background is typical of somebody who's from that particular type of homeworld. That people will say, oh, he seems so much like a shrine worlder. Or, you know, this is clearly a hive ganger because their world has left that indelible mark on them. Likewise, someone who's got something like a goal, okay, who's working on something, they are defined by what they are striving towards. That's what most people uh, connect them to as well. And your choice of background, along with giving you the fluff, also gives you, if it's an accomplishment, you get either plus one influence or plus two wealth. Uh, if it's a goal, you gain plus one glory whenever you accomplish an objective. If it's a keyword, you gain a contact, a useful contact relevant to that keyword. And if it's an origin, you gain your choice of either plus three shock or plus one wound. So that's that character. The final step within character creation is to go out and have fun, is to play with it. You know, So it's all a build point system. Okay, you see, you're talking about hundreds of build points. There are various options you spend for one build point, so you shouldn't be really left over with that much hanging on to the end of spare build points. Those build points are identical to XP, so you, you can look at, you can easily bring a character into a campaign partway through by simply giving them build points equal to the current XP level, and that will work. And mostly it's tied to the tier and archetype system, which defines what your characters are, what they have, what they know, and really it defines their power level in the game as well. So I think overall, it's quite a good character creation system. I've played around with it a bit, and we're going to talk about it in just a moment when we talk about the Skaterius. Um, but overall, I think it gives you 40k feeling characters. It gives you lots of background options. The war gear feels like it all fits as well. And really, it's a whole lot of options. 32 different archetypes in the book, which is fantastic. So anyway, that's character creation. Let's now move on to doing an example of one. All supplicants report to the administratum for career assignment. So let's start now by looking at our first character build in Wrath and Glory. And based upon your feedback, we're going to go with the Skaterius. And I noticed here that it's not in the book the Skateri Ranger. They've specifically gone for Skaterius because it could be a Ranger or it could be a Vanguard. They have different sort of attributes as far as what weapons they use, what sort of combat position they use. But in this case, it's simply just shown as Skaterius. So what actually are Skaterius? The Skateri are the... Effectively, the military force, the equivalent of the Guardsmen, particular to the Adeptus Mechanicus. 
So their main role is usually to act as soldiers and guards of the Mechanicum, both of technology. Um, quite commonly, they are, they are bodyguards for, for key tech priests or magi. Um, they are basically the guardians of technology al alongside the tech priests, and they are all heavily cybernetically augmented as well. Uh, they are certainly a more technical character than a standard imperial citizen not as much as a tech priest obviously but often being raised on forge worlds being raised in the mechanicum and being already majorly enhanced means that they have a lot more exposure to technology than the average imperial citizen but that they are also indoctrinated to the mysteries of the mechanicum as well so they know the various rites and rituals of ignition of maintenance etc etc so what is a Scatarius in Wrath and Glory? First off, this is a tier two archetype. Okay, so uh, it's funny actually that, that tech priests are actually tier three. So uh, uh, actually an individual Scateri uh, uh, or Scatarius is a, uh, a lower tier than a tech priest. Um, their required starting attributes is a toughness of three. Uh, that's it. Um, their only required starting skills are ballistic skill at two and tech at one. Uh, so overall, relatively cheap character to get into as a start. Uh, they get the keywords of Imperium, Adeptus Mechanicus, Scuteri, and they get the open keyword Forge World, which basically means they select that you know are they Mars, um, you know, or what what Forge World do they come from? Uh, their base influence is plus zero, which is pretty standard for a character at this tier. Their trait is called heavily augmented, and I'll talk about this one shortly because this one interacts interestingly with the talent system but what it basically means is the character is not subject to the bleeding rules and they get to add half their rank and we'll talk about rank more at a future point or when the book comes out in, uh, to mass consumption they get to add half their rank to social tests now keep in mind rank is not tier that's something different um to so yeah to so tests uh their starting war gear is a galvanic rifle and an auto cuirass now in terms of the things you might want to swap as far as the optional rules if you were going for more of a Skatari Vanguard rather than a Skatari Ranger um, you can't gain access to any radiant weapons unfortunately they're too high a tier if you're starting a tier 2 game this is but you could for example swap to an arc pistol uh, and then maybe use your second weapon to obtain a melee weapon which makes you more closer to a, um, a, a Ranger Alpha uh, but if you're at a higher tier game, like a tier three or above game, then you may want to swap your weapon for radium weapons, which is more in keeping with the uh, Skateri Vanguard as well. So when it comes to building a Skaterius, um, some of the characteristics that are important. First off, I think toughness. You know, they are certainly this bodyguard-like role. Um, they get toughness as a starting, or they, they have a minimum to starting toughness of three, so it's obviously part of their shtick. And it enhances their wounds, which they're already good because they can soak well. Um, this just makes them a much hardier character. Um, all the times I've played around with the system, Skatari or tech, tech characters in general tend to be pretty hard to kill. Now, agility may seem like an odd choice, but if you are going for the standard Skaterius, which is a, um, a ranged character, uh, then agility is going to be the characteristic that you derive ballistic skill from. So, you know, you don't want to go with the whole dump stat of, I'm a robot, therefore I move mechanically because it will not help your shooting. You want to be a good shot, you have decent agility as well. If you are wanting to go for the more melee-focused 
um, Skatari and you want to have, you know, you want to go that whole sort of pistol end weapon combination and get in close and, and do some damage, then you want to consider probably looking at stealth, sorry, stealth, sorry strength and initiative because initiative affects your weapon skill. And finally, I mean, as a tech-based character, uh, intelligence is going to be uh, a characteristic that you want to look at putting points into as well. On the skill side, I didn't see a lot of skills that I thought were really important for Skaterius. Uh, certainly awareness if you're going for the whole bodyguard thing. But other than that, obviously, ballistic skill, weapon skill. Um, ballistic skill is one of the minimum requirements. Uh, and tech, you know, they're going to have some exposure to tech, so that's what I'll be going for. Other skills, things like investigation, intimidation, that really depends upon the type of Skatari you want to play. So it's going to be down to your individual choice as to how they might look. On the talent side, there's a few you consider. And once again, at starting, I'd only probably look at taking one of these because they are expensive. First off, there's Augmentic. So Augmentic costs you 20 points and it can be taken multiple times. This allows you to take a basically a piece of cybernetic enhancement. Um, this would be in fitting with the way the Skateri are. Uh, of course, you do get the free one as part of being an Imperial keyworded character, but this would allow you to take more. Alternatively, there is the talent called Cybernate Reconstruction, which is literally what Skateri are based on. Now, it's 30 points and half of its benefits are already provided to you through the fact that you are Skatari in the first place. So it's no bleeding. You don't bleed as well, just like with Heavily Augmented from Skatari. You get to add half your rank to Soak, which is the same. You also get to add half your rank to Tech Tests. But the drawback is that you get a plus two difficulty on all Persuasion Tests. So realistically speaking, what this means for a Skatari character is half your rank on Tech Tests in exchange for plus two on Persuasion Tests, plus two difficulty. I mean, the other benefits are already free to you, so it is there as an option, but I'd say that you're fine with just what you get from being Skatari in the first place. Um, Hardy at 30 points allows you to test toughness to restore shock. This is actually really, really good for you as a character because you're going to have a high toughness. When you have a high toughness and good armor, that means you're going to take more shock than wounds. And this is a good way to get rid of your shock so that you're not getting knocked out uh, constantly in combat. So I would definitely consider Hardy as a very good one for that sort of that brute force Skaterius. Um, now, there are a number of tech rights as talents. Probably the one I think fits best with the Skatari is the right of pure thought for 30 points. This lets you add half your rank to resist fear and interaction attacks. And it also allows you to add half your rank to investigation checks. So once again, this is also a good one for tech priests as well. But if you haven't got a tech priest in the group, right of pure thought is a pretty good one for Skatari if you are serving the tech role in your group. Uh, and then finally, true grit at 40 points um, allows you to reduce the penalty for being wounded, both lightly and heavily wounded. Uh, and it also allows you to add half your rank in additional wounds. So once again, for the really hardy character. When it comes to actually playing Skatarius, a few bits, few bits of advice. Um, first off, if you are playing in a group which has other tech-focused characters, especially tech priests, careful to try and not outshine them. That is their whole shtick. You have combat and tech. They are just tech. So make sure you focus on what you're best at and let them focus on what they're best at. Secondly, Skatari are always seeking machine perfection. You know, They want to do away with the flesh and replace it with the metal. That has a big impact on how the character plays. They will become less emotional over time, more logical, more detached, and you can represent that through your various augmentics as well. And finally, remember that Skateri are designed. You know, they, they don't evolve, they are enhanced. 
so remember that you are built fit for purpose. And so make sure you know what you're designed for and focus on that as a character because that's the way the Skateri develop. Anyway, that's our first character build. So, you know, if you're interested in Skaterius, then give, give it a look at it. It is, I, I would say that tier two slash tier three is probably really the intended, and I'm, that's, I mean, I'm just guessing here. It feels like an intended sort of tier for play because tier one is a little bit low with very few character choices, but tier two or above, you get a lot more character choices. I'd say that, you know, Skateri is probably your best mixture of tech what's well, probably your best tech character at tier two but it's also a very formidable combat character at tier two as well at higher tiers i'd let the other characters focus on the knowledge and tech skills and focus more on what the secretary can do as a brutal combatant that is hard to kill anyway let's move on my lord the information you requested is now available for your review so let's look at the wrath and glory book in a bit more detail uh by way of a review basically so if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, which if you're listening to the show as it came out, it's probably unlikely unless you're at Gen Con. Uh, Wrath and Glory is a 452-page thick hardcover book with full coverage color printing. Uh, so, you know, like, like any other role plan book, it, it is, you know, it's weighty, it's hefty, it's got a lot of material. It's actually, when I looked through it, the first thing I noticed was it was actually quite light on the artwork. So there's not a lot of sort of half page or full page artwork pages. So there's a lot of text in this book, a lot of material to go through. Probably the one thing that I did notice that was missing from the book was any sort of sample adventure um, or starter adventure like you do see in a lot of role-playing books these days. I know there is this plan to bring out Dark Tides not too far after Wrath and Glory releases, but there is nothing actually in the main book to start off with at this point in time, or at any point in time, I guess. Um, also, I mean, I haven't really had a chance to, to reference the book yet for playing, but the the index in the back feels probably a little bit light, being only a single page and the same font size as the rest of the book. But otherwise, the book itself is beautifully laid out. Um, the content is great. And, and best of all, the, the character creation section of the book is like the largest part. So let's just break it down by chapter. First off, so chapter one is the Dark Imperium, which is basically a fluff chapter. This is probably a little bit lighter on the fluff than we've seen in other 40k role-playing uh, settings as such, or other role-playing books. So you do have the standard fluff about what is 40k, what's the Imperium, um, all the regular things. And there is a, a section about what is things like, well, what are things like now because of the Dark Imperium, so the whole change with the Cigatrix Maledictum, the fall of Cadia. It doesn't go into the full details of what happened, but it just lets you know how life is different from how it's always been with this new edition. And then finally, there's a couple of pages which give us a bit of a look at the Gilead sector for the first time. So we don't have the whole sort of gazetteer like we've had in like Dark Heresy, for example. We go down world by world. Really, this is just an opening look at the story of the Gilead sector, some of the key worlds and the background behind the sector and why it is how it is. Then we go into chapter two, which is the rules. This is primarily used to explain the base mechanic of the system. So your standard D6 system, the Wrath Dice. It gives you examples of proposed tests, of combined tests, everything you need to basically do your standard dice resolution with lots and lots of examples, which is pretty cool. I like a lot of the examples that appear in the book here as well. Then we go to chapter three, which is the really big chapter. We sort of already really covered that with going through character creation earlier in the show, but there is a lot of content here. You know, when it talks about Space Marines, for example, it actually gives you details about the main Space Marine chapters, uh, as in your, your sort of first founding chapters. Uh, there's lots of details about Eldar, lots about Orcs, 
lots and lots about all the Imperial characters, as well as plenty of options for character creation, plenty of different things you can use to actually build the character. So whether it's the, the standard point buy, or you use an array, or you use a starting set, any of those can be used to create characters, which is really quite diverse and gives you a lot of options to keep your characters both powerful, but also realistic. Then we go to chapter four, which is combat. Uh, I mean, once again, standard chapter basically goes through the rules of initiative, the rules of hitting, the rules of doing damage, the rules of healing damage. Um, probably most notable here is the fact that there is a vehicle combat section in this chapter. And we'll talk about some of these systems in further detail in future shows as we start to break down Wrath and Glory further. But there is vehicle combat in this main book, uh, unlike in earlier games where it appeared as a separate supplement. Then chapter five is adventuring. And this is probably where a lot of the really sort of interesting stuff comes in because this gives you special rules for things like how to manage the passage of time, you know, the movement rules, including sort of narrative movement, uh, environmental hazards, all the things like electricity, cold, acid, etc. There are actually rules for warp travel. So not just like the time it takes, but also things that can happen to you while you're in the warp. Pretty cool stuff here for, for when you're using ships in your game. There are some social interaction rules that are used to basically influence NPCs and bring them over to your side, along with the social combat rules as well. Uh, threatening tasks, which we spoke about during our last show, which I think is a really cool mechanic to give you a narrative resolution to a tense scene. There's rules for investigations. There are the acquisition rules, although they're not called as such, but things like influence, wealth, assets, how these things are used to actually acquire stats or acquire, sorry, um, gear and the like. So definitely a system we'll talk about in the future as well. Uh, there's a section here about the cards too, the various card decks you'd use in Wrath and Glory. Uh, and finally, yeah, the full rules for resting and healing is actually in the adventuring section, not in the combat section, which is, I guess, a little bit different to other game systems, but still it's quite easy to find right at the back of adventuring. Then chapter six is war gear. So this has got you know, a huge amount of war gear compared to previous books because not only has it got all your basic Imperial war gear, it's also got your standard Eldar war gear and your standard Orc war gear and all your Space Marine war gear. So lots and lots of stuff here, all with full rules, along with the fact that to go with your vehicle combat, there are also rules for vehicles and rules for starships, which is pretty impressive. Uh, then chapter seven is Psychic Powers. So this starts off obviously with all your various psychic powers and disciplines, but it also includes the rules for corruption, for temptation of the warp, which is a, another system I quite like, uh, and also for malignancies and mutation as well. That's all included in the in the psychic section. Uh, then chapter eight is your game master section. Uh, this includes a couple of key things like how to balance encounters. So this does have a an encounter balancing mechanic built into it, uh, along with how to handle character progression, so awarding points to the various pools, along with awarding experience points and how characters develop. Uh, and then finally, Chapter 9 is the bestiary. And I think we mentioned it before and maybe in an earlier show, but the way that the monsters work here is their threat level is based upon whether they are an adversary, an elite, um, a troop, or a mob. And with any of these characters or with any of these NPCs or monsters, it's going to show you what their level is depending upon the level of the game. You know, so something like a blood letter is going to be very dangerous to a tier one character. To a tier five, though, you can expect to be cutting them down in the same way a tier one character would look at a rival ganger. So, you know, this nice little mechanic of making sure that there is a way to use all the monsters in the back of the book at various tiers just utilized in different ways in order to keep them balanced against the game. 
So look, overall, the Wrath and Glory book is really quite nice. I've actually, um, I'm going to wait to sort of give it a score until Mike's had a chance to look through it too, so we can discuss it in full. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, if you're going to play this game system, you've got to buy this book. So this is a, a really a must-have. It's table stakes for playing the game. So um, yeah, get out there when you can, you know, uh, which will be soon, I guess, after the show is recorded. Maybe listen to it late. You can already go and get the game. But uh, yeah, Wrath and Glory is definitely worth picking up because the, the main book, nicely presented, you know, Good artwork, full color, nice and chunky book, very, very hard wearing. I definitely suggest putting Wrath and Glory in your 40k role playing collection. All right, then let's move on to closing out the show. All astropaths to the choir chamber, message incoming. All right, finally in the show, we normally look at any sort of feedback we've gotten or any reviews that we've seen. We have had a couple of uh, comments come our way. So, um, first off, I really want to thank all the people who jumped onto our Facebook page and gave me their comments either via IM or on the page itself about dealing with my Battletech game issue. I've really worked out how I'm going to handle that. So I'm not going to sort of enforce a change in the character itself, um, but I am going to actually, uh, the first time we run a game where one player is missing, I'm going to actually get to run through like a flashback scene where rather than playing our campaign where it's up to, we're going to play at an earlier point in the character's life, the one that's sort of min-maxed and sort of set the scene for why they're in the situation that they are, why they're not a, a, a powerful officer or a, you know elite mercenary despite their stats. Like what happened in their past that has left them with this stigma that's seen them as just a low-ranked person in a small mercenary company. And hopefully that sort of character build will give them a better idea about how to act as their character, hopefully give them a little bit of humility maybe. Um, but we'll see how that goes. You know, I've got I've got a session coming up soon where one player can't make, so we'll give that a spin then and see what the response is like. But once again, thank you all the people that wrote in. Uh, also, you would have heard me mention on the show in the past that um, uh, Jacob Smith is a regular person who, who contacts us recently quite a bit about the Harlock trilogy. Uh, he was actually one of the people that was asking questions during the, uh, the Wrath and Glory uh, or the Ulysses North America briefing at Gen Con. And so I got to meet Jacob. So it was great to actually meet another listener of the show in person, uh, have, a, have a catch up, have a chat. Uh, so, you know, shout out to Jacob, you know, I hope you're still enjoying the show and that, uh, we can sort of look forward to seeing more and more of Wrath and Glory together. Uh, the other thing I want to say actually is that, um, so I came up here to upstate New York for, uh, for work after finishing at Gen Con and literally just the other day, this was quite cool. I discovered that I hadn't noticed it, but there was actually a Warhammer store across the road from my hotel, which is a hotel I've stayed in here several times over the past five years. And I found that this, this Warhammer store has actually been here for three years. Uh, and I walked into the, um, uh, the store and I had a chat with the, the guy there and he was pretty new to the store and only two weeks there. And he actually knew of the podcast, which was really cool to sort of be, have the podcast be recognized on the other side of the world from where we live in a Warhammer store, which is about a property we cover. So that was a, it was a really nice thing. So shout out to the guys over at, uh, at Warhammer Victor, New York as well. So um, now the last thing I want to say is right at the end of Gen Con, um, Ross and Eric from Ulysses tracked me down and very nicely, they have given me a copy of Wrath and Glory that we're going to give away on this show. So what I want you to do is we're not going to, I'm not going to go through the details of how I'm going to do it here, but I'm going to put a, a sort of competition onto Facebook. Uh, funnily enough, 
because of I'm I'm based in Australia, certain Australian laws preclude me from just pulling a name out of a hat and giving it to somebody. I've actually got to have a uh, it's got to be a test of skill, not a test of luck. I mean, I can still say, okay, do this, and then your name goes into a hat, but I've actually got to attach you know an element of skill, even if it's saying you know this game is based on Warhammer. What K? Okay. Uh, that's a game of skill, not a game of luck. Uh, but watch our Facebook page. I'm only going to do it on Facebook. I will have a link to how we're going to run this competition. And we are going to announce the winner uh, during episode 99. And a copy of the Wrath and Glory book hardcover will be going to that person. Um, so, yeah, there's an opportunity to get your hands on the book very soon as well. Because we'll be recording episode 99 in the not-too-distant future once I get back to Australia. So, if you do want to contact the show... Uh, remember that our website is www.grimdartpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plus sign grimdartpodcast. We tweet through at grimdartpodcast. And our email is show at grimdartpodcast.com. So coming up is our 99th episode. So we will be one away at that point for episode 100, which is really, really exciting. Next episode, obviously, we're talking more and more about Wrath and Glory. We're going to look at the cards of Wrath and Glory, the various decks, so the Wrath deck, the Complication deck, the Campaign deck, etc., and talk about how to use those and also other mechanisms that might be in place if you don't want to use those or how you can sort of change up the rules of using the card decks. Uh, I've put a little sort of comment onto Facebook to work out what career we should cover next at the point in time i'm recording that looks like uh hive ganger is the current leader but uh, if that changes over time we'll do whatever gets the most interest in the next show i want to talk about running mixed groups in wrath and glory so how to actually effectively use a group of both say imperial characters and eldar or imperials and orcs or orcs and eldar or any combination of the three and we'll go from there and I think that the next product we'll be reviewing won't be a Wrath and Glory product, although I don't know when Dark Tides will be out, but uh, I will probably look to review Kill Team because Kill Team has been a real big thing for for Games Workshop in the past few weeks, and uh, we'll be having a game of it very soon to actually get our head around how it plays. So yeah, we'll be reviewing that on the show as well. So we're getting more now back towards a a more standardized format for our show. So uh, yeah, you should enjoy, hope you'll enjoy it as we keep going forward. I'll have Mike back very soon. I've been chatting with people about how to get our audio quality when it's the two of us back up to a, uh, a decent level. So uh, definitely have things in place for episode 100, but we'll try and get things working a lot better for episode 99 as well. So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our third Gen Con special. I hope you're as excited about I am that I hope you're as excited as I am about the fact that Wrath and Glory is now sort of getting out there for the public and the players to really get their hands on and play. Um, you know, I've just got to give kudos to the team at Ulysses North America. They've put out a great product here. Um, you know, Ross, um, all the guys that wrote for it, and the girls, you know, like, including obviously Wendy, um, have done a great job and um, put together a brilliant product. And I look forward to playing it more and sharing those experiences with you as we go forward. Anyway, that's it from me tonight. So thank you for listening. And I will catch you again soon from Australia. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Ulysses North America. One forty thousand Wrath and Glory, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Deathwatch, Black Crusade, Only War, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Ulysses North America is a trademark of Ulysses Median and Spiel Distribution GmbH. All other materials are trademarks of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grim Dark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music was composed by Jens Kulsoff and is used under license.